to the Jungle Times, a podcast that explains how understanding nature's management principles can help you enhance your personal power and leadership skills. In a world beset by climate change, mass migration, and social unrest, fake news and bad politics are threatening the future of our planet. This series of timely presentations will demonstrate how nature's 4.5 billion years of success is based on the emergence of creative leaders. It is my pleasure to introduce your guide, the only researcher on Earth who treks tropical jungles in a wheelchair, author and training consultant, Lawrence Poole. Welcome to the Jungle Times podcast. I'm Lawrence Poole, and this is episode number 13. It's called How Nature Manages Change. Last time, I spoke to you about the soul and how it gets that way. I described how we actualize our higher needs by practicing a tithing culture, a psychic culture, and a spiritual culture. I also discussed ways to avoid the nefarious deeds of the bad and stupid people who surround us. I mentioned how evidence points to each of us as being part of a unified whole, an infinite universe we can also call God. Each of us is like a drop in the ocean when God is that ocean. In fact, that explains why the universal law, survive and prosper, must be managed with altruistic self-interest. Having said that, because the concept of universe doesn't only mean far away out there, but rather everywhere all the time, I wrote this episode because the law compels us to change our way of seeing. This presentation is about change, and as survival means learning how to adapt to changing conditions, I believe I'm qualified to talk about it. I know a lot about the conditions that cause changes to occur. I've lived through many different changes, willed and not, and I've thrived through them all. I'm certain that this COVID-19 pandemic will classify as a changing condition to a good many people who, like me, have been forced into new circumstances. A corporate trainer and conference speaker, I am experiencing the brunt of it because of the social distancing rules. That was a huge change, but I was ready for it. Already I've survived close encounters with three hurricanes, a tornado, more than a half dozen earthquakes, and I hit a metal pole at 70 miles an hour driving an automobile. In that encounter, I was thought dead four times. It paralyzed me, put me on a respirator for six weeks, kept me in hospitals for a couple of years, and fundamentally changed my life. Today I must manage every second of my life paralyzed and bound to a wheelchair. Years ago, when Hurricane Cesar hit the Valle General in Costa Rica, it isolated Susie and I for five weeks. That time gave me the opportunity to give the subject of change some very serious thought. We experienced the land as it was transformed by a deluge that rushed down 3,000 meter high mountains into the valley below. I described this devastation in a previous podcast, but suffice to say, I was very curious to see how nature would manage the changes that affected everything that surrounded us. I remember meeting Don Luis, 
a friend and very prosperous local citizen who told me about a very unpleasant task that he had to perform. He had to telephone a new property owner in the USA to tell him that his just-finished retirement home had been washed away. He told me, Lorenzo, he has not yet seen his house. It was just completed, but it's no longer there. Even the land that his house was on has disappeared. It has all washed away. I thought about how we could prevent or at least minimize the impacts of such catastrophic changes like hurricanes and even pandemics. Contemplating change, I realized that most people were not prepared for the negative impact on their life. Most reacted to change with resignation and a general feeling of powerlessness. That attitude, of course, stresses us and puts us in a negative reactive state. We seem to believe that the circumstances of our lives should be fixed and nothing should or can interfere with them, and we are wrong. I was very cognizant of that on the day after my accident. I had things to do that day. I had places to be, people to meet. I had a full agenda and nothing on my mind to tell me that my life would be radically changed. I was oblivious until I woke up next to the morgue and at the very beginning of a different path. It's true that we don't always have a say in the events or circumstances that affect us, but we always have a say in how we're going to react to those events and circumstances. I learned how to overcome the negative effects of the monumental changes that I'd suffered. By the time that hurricane hit, I knew how to overcome change. I contemplated the origins of change in those weeks we were isolated in San Isidro, and I listed eight circumstances that caused change in life. I found that we have a direct influence on two of those sources of change, but only an indirect influence on the other six. I'll name the first source of change creative intent. Some might call it inner wisdom, but will agree that it's a sudden knowing. We'll recognize that creative intent is the voice of reason that tells us what to do or not to do, what to say or not to say, etc. It is our inner voice recommending changes in behavior or direction that will benefit us. We have a direct influence on the changes brought about by our inner voice because we can choose to implement its recommendations and adopt its new behaviors and directions or to completely ignore our intuitions and do nothing, except suffer the consequences of inaction. An interesting fact is that if we do nothing, that creative intent continues to manifest like a voice crying in the desert, and it can cause dis-ease or major upsets. People will try all kinds of ways to silence that voice, alcohol, drugs, and excesses of every description. From that added stress, burnout, and severe dis-ease follow. I think ignoring our capacity to choose is nefarious. This because ignorance becomes a force that works against building self-esteem. As we must constantly work to justify our inaction, we waste a colossal amount of energy building the wrong habits. Action-reaction, those bad habits, lead to bad karma. The perception that we live in a chaotic world is the cause of a variety of psychological problems. That's why it's so important to act positively whenever we can. 
to resist feeling powerless. In episode three, I explain how nature's ninth management principle is self-empowerment. That is, the notion that any system that is self-aware can change its own character, behavior, and circumstances. I can offer a very personal example. A couple of days after I left the rehabilitation hospital, I was home alone thinking about my new life as a disabled man, and this with very little enthusiasm. I was arriving at dismal conclusions. I laid in bed entertaining the most negative thoughts. At a certain point, I felt as if I was slipping into a deep pit. I realized that I was falling into a depression, and it frightened me. I experienced the physical sensation of falling, so I grasped out at the sides that seemed a long, narrow tunnel, and I tried to orient myself. I felt that if I didn't act in that instant, it would be very difficult for me to rise out of the depression. It frightened me even more, so I immediately transferred into my wheelchair and headed to the phone. I called a friend and asked her to meet me for a beer. She agreed, and we spent the afternoon in a tavern that I knew to be wheelchair accessible. A very pretty girl, my friend has a great sense of humor, and we had a super time. We shared a lot of laughs that completely transformed my mood. It gave me the resolve to forge ahead in spite of the hardships. I recognized that my decision to act saved me from the abyss. Body-mind is said to burn out when it feels obliged or believes itself to be obliged to pursue a path it no longer desires. The unwillingness to go forward caused the stress that risks sabotaging me. To avoid the negative outcome, I had to choose to work at consciously building a more joyful life. And that brings me to the second cause of change in life, our significant relationships. Ah, those other people in our lives who constantly push us to be better, to apply ourselves, to work harder, to be nicer, to be wiser, to change all that ails us, and to fix everything that's broken. We don't have to suffer or to endure others as we can manage their influence in our lives. We can learn to listen without being defensive, to negotiate, and to compromise. We can learn to distinguish between the good people in our life who have our best interests in heart and the bad people who only care about themselves or the stupid people who are largely oblivious to the harm that they cause. We can then choose an appropriate strategy to eat, deal with each of them. Just think about the great number of marriages that end in divorce to recognize how the pressures provoked by significant other people in our lives are the cause of all kinds of change. This is why we need to develop a healthy kind of creativity to manage our relationships. We must also develop the capacity to negotiate and to compromise to the benefit of the couple, or the partnership, or the family, or the larger whole. We need to manage our relationships, our client capital, with altruistic self-interest. And then we'll recognize how the law of love includes self-love and self-protection. We'll also recognize that sometimes our only influence is to love others sufficiently to let them live their life without the condition that we live with them. Love without condition means we aren't obliged to adhere to a particular path, only to make sure that our path has a heart. There are many ways to manage the changes that others bring into our life. 
It's up to us to decide the kind of relationship we want and how we'd like them to work. It's all a question of personal power. If you feel that you can tolerate your ex for only an hour without blowing a gasket, your strategy consists in knowing that you can leave in about 55 minutes. So, we have a direct influence on the changes suggested by our inner wisdom and by our significant others. Think about that. I'll be right back with the six kinds of changes where we only have an indirect influence and what we can do about it. So stay tuned. Other than those first two sources of change I mentioned where we have a direct influence, ourselves and our relationships, we have an indirect but very real influence on six other causes. A third cause of change is the marketplace. We interact with changing market conditions all the time. Even if we only have sporadic awareness of some of its conditions and more awareness of others. I think most of us might check prices before deciding what to buy, and some of us might even consider the source of the goods and services that we purchase. People who are more involved in buying and selling are more concerned and can have more influence. The market influences us, suggesting what we should eat, drink, wear, do, how we should medicate, act, or where we should go, and much more. We also influence the market. We choose. Our influence might only be indirect, but we can increase it by focusing on the quality of the offer. We can link with others to exert pressure on prices we pay for products and services, or how they should be packaged and offered to us. We can even influence the basic ingredients of goods, how they're made and how they are serviced. Today, thanks to the internet, consumers are more informed than ever before. The rise of virtual communities has given us the capacity to promote or to castigate any company or brand anywhere. More powerful than any other kind of publicity, anyone can influence decisions by launching a media campaign that will rally family, friends, and social networks to a particular point of view. We customers have more influence than ever before because we are no longer isolated. We can join similar interest groups and together we can exert pressure on the market to adhere to the best practices. We can help or we can hinder. In the same way, any business, even the smallest mom and pop shop, can join with others to create an alliance that better responds to consumer needs by influencing the behavior of suppliers. We can also concentrate on reducing our consumption, shopping for products by sourcing locally, as is often we can buy our goods and services from those mom-and-pop locations. A movement that encourages us to think globally, but to act locally, is in full swing and doesn't seem ready to go away. It's even more relevant in these times of pandemic, what I call the jungle times. I think that consumer influence will continue to have strength and continue to grow. We now have more choices than ever before with a variety of offers almost impossible to imagine just 10 years ago. A much greater percentage of the world's citizens have the financial capacity to participate in business. And for local businesses, the challenge is only to innovate, 
so it can distinguish itself from the competition of this new global marketplace. I suggest we invest in our creative capital and compete in this new market. You must start wherever the best practices are in your industry. A quick Google search will tell you what that is. Start there because your competition is already doing that. Distinguish yourself by deciding how to improve on the market's offer. Listen to your clients. They'll tell you what they want and reward you for supplying it. We can influence the world's ideas, products, and services by adding value to them. How can we make them better? We can also increase our influence by exploring new territories or markets or finding one that is underserved by existing suppliers, ignored by the competition, or poorly served by rivals. In this new digital age, communications have never been easier or faster. Imagine, we can FaceTime anyone, anywhere, anytime. In fact, innovation is nature's way to influence ever-changing conditions. Nature favors creative thinkers who will influence others with their leadership. In this context, anyone who has access to information in real time who is capable of understanding, synthesizing, interpreting, and sharing it has a fantastic advantage over the competition, and that's real influence. So that brings me to the fourth source of change, where we all have a little influence, is government, local, regional, national. With a stroke of a pen, government leaders can cause havoc. In fact, most of us can agree that what we've seen, so many blunders in how this COVID-19 pandemic is being managed, it is unimaginable. For example, many people are being forced to accept an intrusive vaccine that is a result of a new and unproven technology. This in spite of the fact that most of us will only suffer mild symptoms from the disease. While the vaccine can benefit elderly people and those who are morbidly obese or diseased, it is being heralded as a quick fix for all. This messenger RNA strain of vaccine communicates directly with our DNA building block. Introducing this vaccine into a human being is like adding code to a computer program. How does that code affect the different DNA configurations is unknown. Is it an update or malware? What is known is that a lot of people must now endure long-lasting side effects from the vaccine and some have even died. In the meantime, almost two years later, the pandemic continues to rage on and we must now deal with mutant strains by taking second and third doses of this mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. Some experts think the cure is worse than the malady. Many governments are taking draconian steps to force people into compliance with this worldview. We have to be vigilant. This is akin to fascism. Even if we do not have a lot of influence on how laws are made or how leaders react to crises, we can have significant influence on how laws are implemented or not. We can protest bad rules and laws and bring amendments to them. Or we can wage political campaigns against them. We can express our agreement or disagreement with a vote. We can join protest groups or political parties. We can solicit allies to our cause. We can become full-fledged activists. Let's remember that Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for 27 years before being released, and then he became South Africa's first black president. 
For good or bad, the power of one to affect the destiny of many is the domain of politics. I pointed out how the universal politic requires the law of love, but local personalities continue to do their own will. Just recently, for example, hoping his minority government might benefit from the pandemic, the Prime Minister of Canada called an unnecessary snap election that didn't change the political picture one iota, but did cost taxpayers $560 million and a lot of wasted time that could have gone into fixing real problems. Simultaneously, the American ex-president is trying to bury the truth about what can now be objectively termed a coup attempt to overthrow democracy. A flurry of details on Trump's attempts to steal the last election show just how close the USA came to a constitutional disaster. A report from the Senate Judiciary Committee states that Trump tried to get the Justice Department to undermine the election nine separate times. Bringing political change looks like a huge job, but one person can do a lot of good work. Severely disabled, I was spokesperson for the right to access for disabled people for many years. I founded the Action Committee for Disabled Persons in my community when I decided to help a fellow, a quadriplegic, who needed it. And then I co-founded a provincial coalition of disability groups because I had to go to Quebec City to do my work. We proposed that government fund a permanent committee to represent our interests. It was accepted and it became law. Then I was elected president of Kirul, the official spokespersons for the tourism industry on accessibility issues. I was also president of ACAT, the Advisory Committee on Accessible Transport at Transport Canada. That committee was made up of representatives from the whole transport industry, planes, trains, buses, ferries, and car rentals, and all of the national organizations of disability groups, all at one table. We met for two days every three months and hammered out all kinds of issues. We changed dozens of rules and laws. And while there's still a lot of work to do for disabled people to have full access to a quality of life, I've noticed that the people involved in the struggle and who volunteer to bring the solutions can see that positive change happens a lot faster than people who sit at home and gripe about the problems. We can influence change even indirectly by working with government. Nature constantly reminds us that we have no time to waste complaining because it is the source of a fifth kind of change. It's what we sometimes call acts of God. I have no doubt that the world itself is causing a huge number of changes. For example, just this past summer of 2021, it'll be etched in history as memorable in a lot of negative sense. We suffered from devastating fires in Western Canada, torrid temperatures and droughts in the Southern US, killer floods in Europe and China, both forest fires and floods in Australia, and much more. Nature's wrath seems unleashed. Those local disasters can affect the whole world. Consider how a volcano erupting in Iceland paralyzed air travel throughout all of Europe. I told you that Susie and I were victims of Hurricane Cesar, but I'll emphasize that its effect on us personally was minimum. Despite the ferociousness of that storm, we were well protected by, one, the very many mature trees and plants that carpeted our 60-acre jungle reserve, 
and two, by the relationships we'd natured with our neighbors. I can share one anecdote. We were isolated from the Costa Rican capital, San Jose, for five weeks by 83 avalanches that blocked the highway between us and them. About a week after the deluge, I was advised that my jungle-adapted wheelchair was ready. My mechanic buddy who built it was looking for a way to deliver it to me. A disabled person himself, he communicated his request to his network, and the transport was quickly arranged. Local firefighters picked up my jungle chair with their truck and delivered it to the airport. There, it was loaded aboard the private plane of Jose Maria Figueres, the president of Costa Rica, who flew it into the Valley El General. He was greeted at the local landing strip by our own fire department, who then delivered it to me at home. We have all kinds of influence during natural disasters and acts of God if we first change our own habits. If we become stewards of the earth and then live in a state of grace by caring for our local environment and the people who live there, they will care for us. And that brings me to a sixth source of change, the macroeconomy and the banksters. Like government, banks impose changes to our lives with a quick flick of the pen. And then they do that by fudging the numbers. I experienced it in 1983. I owned a company at the time and manufactured hot tubs and saunas. When you are selling home improvements that cost thousands of dollars, the worst thing is watching interest rates climb. That year, they climbed to 25%. Unless you have very deep pockets, you bite the bullet and close your doors. You lose, the banks win. Thanks to the subprime mortgage scandal of 2008, thousands of people lost their homes. This because greedy bankers created a mass fraud, and yet the banks were bailed out by taxpayer money. They were deemed to be too big to fail, and they were bailed out with massive amounts from which the bank executives paid themselves huge bonuses. The U.S. Department of Treasury was authorized to buy $700 billion worth of toxic assets from the crooked companies so they could replenish their balance sheets with safer assets. It was also authorized to buy up to $250 billion in bank shares to provide the needed capital to those financial institutions. Can you imagine what this money could have done had it been earmarked to fix real problems? We might not think about it a lot, but financial disparity and social injustice cause a lot of hardships in the global village and the repercussions are felt right onto our doorsteps. We see it in the way that vaccines for this pandemic were appropriated to favor the wealthier countries over the poor ones. The hick is that this sort of short-sighted approach is a far cry from what I believe is altruistic self-interest. In a global village, it is in our interest to help our neighbors because what happens there has consequences here. Whether we like it or not, whether we are ready or not, the universal politics sees reality as one planet, one people. What we do locally affects the whole planet, and that brings me to a seventh source of change, technology. Be they updates or full-scale changes to our personal devices, or industrial breakthroughs, or adjustments to our domestic consumption, or to our manufacturing process, there is a wide variety of new technologies responsible for a great many changes. 
new medical practices, fair market trade opportunities, and shopping online are the fruits of these huge changes. Technology has altered the way we meet, how we entertain ourselves, and even how we consume media. It's made important advancements in home security and a slurry of breakthroughs in medicine. It's opened us up to new opportunities by increasing our mobility and our connectivity. I don't have to convince anyone about the influence that this new digital age is having in our lives. We, of course, have tremendous influence on in how that technology is used. We can instantly check facts. We can buy and sell. We can research and publish. We can learn and teach. In short, we can master these new technologies or become Luddites who shy away and fear them. My eighth source of change is cosmos. For many, the concept of cosmos probably is linked to far away out there in the vast beyond. So how does it affect us even indirectly, and how can we influence it? Pythagoras was the first to call the universe cosmos, a word that means order. This as opposed to chaos, which means disorder. While it's true that cosmos has a vague sort of meaning to many of us, we do know enough to think about a larger concept than nature's cycles or forces. Cosmos includes ideas like fate, karma, and serendipity. In fact, cosmos links to creator's intent, and as such, it is always at work. Cosmos is a constant force. An example, think of how solar flares sometimes affect the world's electricity grid. Personally, I can think of many coincidences that surrounded the car accident that put me in a wheelchair. I was dead, and now I'm not. I've seen miracles. I even remember flying into Montreal's Trudeau Airport just as the city lights went dark thanks to a freak ice storm that hit the province of Quebec. Lasting many days, the storms made all the roads impassable due to fallen trees, broken power lines, and heavy layers of ice. Emergency vehicles could hardly move, and 15,000 army troops had to be deployed in response to help with the emergency. Workers rescued people and animals trapped in wreckage. They had to evacuate the sick, man shelters, and feed 100,000 people who were frozen out of their homes. Military engineers and technicians worked around the clock with hydro and telephone crews to fix and replace down transmission towers and utility poles. In the crisis, the lives of thousands of people were affected as they scrambled to meet their basic needs. Cosmos played well into Susie and my life again. We landed on that first night in complete darkness, and then we moved through an airport with its emergency lights on. Our taxi ride home left us wondering how I'd gain entry to our apartment as we occupy the penthouse floor and the electric elevators would be useless. We were amazed to find that our building, which is across the street from Concordia University and connected to their emergency grid, is one of the few places in town with power. We did have a brief blackout the next day, but only for a few hours. It's easy to imagine that Cosmos has more influence on us than we have on it. But even if we have very little say in large cosmic events, like being hit by a meteor, a nice storm, or an erupting volcano, we can be ready for any eventuality that occurs. For example, we can actively work to repair our environment, 
We can slow the effects of climate change and minimize its risks. There is a lot we can do. I'll paraphrase Carl Sagan, who said, Nothing of interest will happen to you if you no longer can breathe the air or drink the water. Whether by fate or by accident, we are alive at this critical moment in the history of the planet. Let's not remain inactive. Let's do something. The ability to prevent disaster is our creative capital. We have the capacity to transcend apathy, to overcome old habits etched into our brains. We can face the greatest challenges. We no longer have the privilege of feeling powerless. Change is inevitable, so we must embrace it. We can learn how to manage it. Think about it. I'll be right back. More than adjusting to change, we can learn how to manage it. I described its eight causes as being a creative intent in our significant relationships where we have complete influence and the marketplace, the government, nature itself, the economy, technology, and cosmos where we have less influence. My observations in the jungle allow me to conclude that every species, all of Earth's flora and fauna, can manage changes over which they have any manner of control. Nature does not passively endure its millions of changes. It empowers species to undertake complete transformations in order to survive. Nature has been managing one continuous transformation on Earth for 4.5 billion years of success by simultaneously managing three aspects of itself that I'll call, one, the chaos regime, this includes everything that must be changed, two, the transition regime, that is, the very process of change itself, or the who does what, where, when, and how, and three, the ordered regime, or what is the ideal or desired result of the change. In an easy example, consider the caterpillar. Before becoming a butterfly, a caterpillar might consume 175 to 200 leaves in a day. That's like a newborn baby drinking a hundred pounds of formula in that same day. If a caterpillar can devastate a small forest in its lifetime, that would be chaotic. So it plans to transform itself and become a butterfly. Its continuation as a caterpillar is chaotic, so it undertakes a transition. It will build a cocoon that will protect it during its chrysalid state. In this phase of the transition, it will undergo a very complex and fantastical process. Once that metamorphosis is complete, it will emerge as a butterfly and fly off to a nearby forest. That is the ideal, the ordered regime, in which it can eat to its content, but in a much larger territory. In the same way that a caterpillar does it, we can choose what will become. What will you change? Do you want a new career? Do you want to learn public speaking? Will you become a vegan, or do you want to master your emotions? Like a caterpillar, you can plan your transition. In my examples, that can mean going back to school, or joining Toastmasters International, or finding a mentor who will guide you through the vegan scene, or you can learn yoga or any other relaxation technique. Then, like a butterfly that emerges from its chrysalid, 
you've adapted to new conditions. In nature, the only constant is change. In episode number one of this podcast, it's in fact called 4.5 billion years of success, I illustrate how nature's plan is for biological systems to self-organize so creative leaders emerge. In episodes 9 and 10, I explain how nature favors that emergence. Most people don't see change as an emergence, though. Even when management rationalizes change to be an opportunity to strengthen a situation, or align practices with new strategies, or to seek new territories and allies, most employees only see the risks to themselves and to their careers. For most people, change is neither wanted nor appreciated. It is most often considered troubling and upsetting. It is often fiercely resisted. Leadership is about managing change, though. So what is a leader to do when faced with resistance? Resistance to change is manifest in many ways, from foot-dragging and inertia to petty sabotage and outright rebellion. The best tool for leaders is to understand the predictable sources of resistance and to then strategize around them. A study published by the Harvard Business Review looked at main reasons people resist change. I'll list eight of them. The first is loss of control. Change interferes with our habits and can make us feel like we are losing control over our territory. Self-determination is the first thing to go when we are faced with a change that is imposed. Creative leaders should allow they who are affected by change to make choices whenever they can. People should be invited to the planning sessions to learn how to manage the change and to take ownership for the effects that they can manage. Two, fear of the unknown. When change feels like jumping off a cliff, people will avoid it for as long as they can. They prefer to be mired in doubt than to head blindfolded into the unknown. To overcome inertia, people need to feel secure. Leaders should create a vision of transition processes with simple steps and timetables. Three, surprises shock people. Decisions suddenly imposed on people with no time to get used to the idea or to prepare for its consequences will most often be resisted. It's easier to say no than to say yes. Leaders should avoid the temptation to craft changes in secret and then to announce them all at once. It is better to plant seeds, that is, to sprinkle hints of what might be coming and to seek input. Four, everything will be confusing. Change is about doing things differently. But just how differently? We are creatures of habit. Routines are automatic. So a change jolts us into wakefulness, sometimes in uncomfortable ways. Too many differences can be distracting or confusing. Leaders should try to minimize the numbers of unrelated differences introduced by a central change. Wherever possible, keep things simple. Remain focused on the important aspects. Avoid change for the sake of change. 5. I'll lose my status. The definition of change includes a departure from the past. People associated with the old regime, whatever is superseded, will likely be defensive about it. When a change involves a shift in direction, like during a war or a pandemic or another catastrophe, or even a cosmic awakening, the people responsible for the old way of doing things will face scrutiny 
for being wrong in either not predicting the change or for being incompetent in allowing it to continue. Either way, any break from the status quo needs someone to blame. Even the greatest change won't require that we throw the baby out with the bathwater, though. The chaos regime is defined as what must be changed. People maintain dignity by celebrating the elements of the past that are worth honoring. So make it clear that even if the world has changed, enduring values are constant. Make it easy for others to let go of the chaos regime and move into the transition regime towards a world that is more ideal. The sixth cause of resistance to change is the fear of being incompetent. Can I do it? Can I fit in with these changes? Change is resisted when it makes people feel stupid. We might express skepticism about whether the new idea will work or whether the digital initiative is an improvement, but down deep we are worried that our own skills will be outpaced or outsourced. Leaders must provide information, education, training, mentors, and support to any change of culture. Major changes require a period of transition and adequate resources. Frequent announcements should explain the changes that are coming. An overlap between old and new systems that includes running two systems simultaneously is a measured transition. Number seven, there'll be extra work. Here is a universal challenge. Change indeed means more work. Those closest to the change are often overloaded, in part because of unanticipated glitches in the middle of a change process. Leaders should acknowledge that change means hard work. They should allow people to focus on how to implement these needed adjustments and reward them for it. Offer perks, like free meals or spa days, and have rewards to recognize employees and their families who often make unseen sacrifices in terms of hours away from home. Eight, there may be ghosts to overcome. The present has a past, and ghosts from that past may be lying in wait to hunt you. As long as the status quo rules, those ghosts may remain out of sight. But the minute things change, ghosts are ready to stir things up. You look for cooperation or introduce something new, and the ghosts spring into action. Old wounds are reopened. Historic resentments are brought to life, and hopes for a happy future are sabotaged. Leaders should consider how Nelson Mandela structured his Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a court-like body with a mandate to heal the country by uncovering truths about the human rights violations that occurred during apartheid. Its emphasis was on gathering evidence and uncovering information from both victims and perpetrators, not on prosecuting individuals. Leaders should also know that they may have to heal the past before attempting to sail into the future. Resentment is a drag on the system. While we may not have as much say in many of the changes we face in life, we always have a say in how we'll adapt to those changes. So what about you? Do you experience change from the perspective of being in the chaos regime? Are you aware of the power you'll acquire by exploring the transition regime? What kind of behavior can you adopt so you move into cosmos and experience your ideal? Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time in episode 14, entitled, From My Mailbag. People ask me the darndest questions, and so I'll give them my best answers. I wouldn't be surprised if you really enjoy this show. Folks, 
A listener wrote to tell me that she gets a lot from my podcast by reading the episode transcript while I explain things. She says that new ideas are easier to learn that way. If you want to try her technique, download a free copy of this episode transcript from my website at www.thejungletimes.com. If you enjoyed the Jungle Times podcast, please give it a positive review. Subscribe to my channel and tell your friends about it. If you didn't like it, please write and tell me why not. Thanks again. I'll see you next time. Adios, amigos. The Jungle Times podcast was written and animated by Lawrence Poole. If you enjoyed his presentation, share it with your friends and colleagues, click the like button, and leave your opinions in the comment section. Visit thejungletimes.com to learn more about Lawrence and his adventures. Follow him on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. You can order his latest book, Invest in Your Creative Capital, from Amazon.com. Subscribe to this channel in order to receive all the latest news. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.